This is the Global Health Student Advisory Board at Cornell University, hoping to share the experiences and expertise of Cornell alumni in the fields of global health, public health, and more. We are using our platform to connect the global health community with one simple question. Where in the world are you? Hi everybody, my name is Supriya and I'm a senior majoring in human biology, health and society, minoring in global health, and I'm on the Global Health Student Advisory Board. And hi guys, this is Liz and I'm a junior majoring in global and public health sciences, and I'm also on the Student Advisory Board. We are so happy to be here today with Ms. Tatiana Roberts. All right, so we're so excited to have you here, Tatiana. Um, could you please give us a brief introduction and tell us a little bit um, about your time at Cornell? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, again, my name is Tatiana Roberts. So excited to be here with you all today. My pronouns are she, hers. Um, I graduated from Cornell in 2016, which, dang, now looking at that as 2021, it's been five years. <laughs> It's been a while, but I graduated from CALS. Um, I was a biological science major with a concentration in human nutrition. And then obviously why I'm here today, I was a global health minor. Um, and then I'm originally from the East Coast. Um, I'm from Westchester, New York, uh, from a small town called Ardsley. So that's a little bit about me. Great. Awesome. Um, and could you tell us a little bit more about your involvement in global and public health? Yeah. Yeah. So my involvement with global and public health, I mean, I want to say it starts actually really back home with my family. I come from a really pretty diverse background um, in the sense I come from a Caribbean household. My like my mom's Dominican and my dad's uh, Jamaican. And so I had the opportunity and the privilege as a child, you know, to see um, just see the more world more broadly, like going back to those different countries. So I would say like different elements of global, global health, um, like what came up in my childhood. But I didn't have the vocabulary to like talk about what I was seeing until Cornell. Um, and really that journey kicked off literally on the first day of NS2600 when I was a sophomore. Um, you know, I was a pre-med made, uh, well, I was pre-med though. I mean, till this day, if you ever asked me back, like, and even during that time, I would never tell you that I was actually pre-med, which is hilarious since now I'm a medical student. I've always said I was like the pre-med-ish because um, I was always straddling the lines between, you know, medicine and global and public health. But yeah, it started off like that first day of Eddie's 2600, which really I came across that course because, you know, I was struggling like really hard to find the connection with my pre-med classes. Like, I think it was probably the first signs like health class in which we we're talking about things larger than a protein so I was all for it <laughs> I was all for it and again it gave me the vocabulary to talk about you know things I've seen previously in my life um, and honestly the global health program couldn't get rid of me after NS2600 um, I went on that summer to do an independent field experience in Cusco, Peru um, in which I was doing uh, clinical shadowing um, down there straddling between the both public and private sector that summer. Um, so I did a lot of clinical observation that summer. Um, and then 
then yeah, then my junior year summer again, again theme couldn't get rid of me. Junior year summer, I then did a, a Cornell's global health program in Zambia, in which I did uh, qualitative research on non-custodial sentencing options. Um, for Zambia's criminal justice system. Um, and basically we're trying to answer the question, you know, like, is there an alternative uh, for people other than going to jail? And how could NGOs like best align themselves with the current government's legislation? Cause there was just such an overcrowding problem in Zambia. So did a little bit of that. That was my first experience with health policy research um, and loved my experience there so much that I went on my senior year to be uh, the program assistant for that for that program. So I got to go back at that my senior that summer of my senior year and again theme couldn't get rid of me. I then became a global health fellow for two years. So had, I had a pretty long uh, range of involvement as well as like doing extracurricular stuff um, with the global health program, such as being on the GSHSAB board, such as you all. So I'm glad that you guys are doing this. Wow, that sounds like you had like a lot of different stuff going on. So did you set up the, um, the clinical shadowing that was on your own or was that an ELO too? Uh, the clinical shadowing, um, I did not, so yeah, that was an independent field experience. Um, I did obviously get help. I actually ended up going through, you know, now I have different views on it, but I found an organization, um, but it was kind of volunteerism for it to, to be really blank. Uh, I found an organization called Maximo Nivelle that had, you know, different components of volunteering. One was a medical arm um, in which they like basically set up the shadowing experience for us and helped to facilitate, you know, the partnership and networking that we needed to do in order to get those, um, yeah, to order to have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And then your second one was with another cohort that was at Cornell. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Amazing. So our next question for you um, yes. is, what was your favorite course at Cornell? I mean, I would be cheating to say like anything related to the global health program. So I'll try to think, <laughs> I feel like I'll try to think outside the box a little bit. Um, I think one of my more interesting classes is um, actually a class that I took to to, as an alternative to the communication requirement in cows. It's called like the naturalistic outreach program. It's in the entomology department at Cornell. And essentially it's taught by Dr. Linda Rayer, again, in the entomology department um, in which you basically become an educator in a K through 12 science outreach program and you teach kids in the community, backyard biology and natural history. So I did that my senior year and that was just so much fun to, you know, have the opportunity to like go talk to like second graders. My topic was on nocturnal animals, which is actually inspired by uh, one of my trips, by my first trip uh, to Zambia because I did a, a night safari and I was like, as silly as this sounds, I was so shocked that uh, hippos were nocturnal. I don't know, that was just something I missed as a kid. Like, I just did not know that fact. <laughs> I thought they were just like daytime animals, but no, they're nocturnal and they move super fast. So yeah, that inspired my topic. I didn't know that either, so. Right? It's just yeah, random. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that inspired my topic to teach, yeah, K through 12 on nocturnal animals. And it was such a great opportunity to you know, improve on my teaching skills, you know, learn how to, uh, to adapt a curriculum, you know, for all age groups and um, just make it, you know, 
understandable. And then I would also add, uh, and then this is kind of my thing because I'm always trying to promote mental health, is like whenever you can, uh, take a gym class. Like just put exercising into your schedule. Um, and I and when I think back on it, you know, I took a lot of fun gym classes, like just random ones, uh, like belly dancing, salsa. <laughs> but during my last in my last year, I think I took spinning. Um, and it was just like such a great way to like literally just put like something for me exercising on my schedule that like and I don't mind you know having a requirement like an attendance requirement that helps me um so it's like having an account uh, like a form of accountability to actually go and put it on your schedule so that's my other recommendation take a gym class if you can that's really funny I signed up for spinning yesterday for next semester so that's fun okay I'm glad (laughs) all right um so our next question has to do with your transition into the workforce after Cornell. And so we we're wondering why did you decide to do multiple gap years and what did you choose to do in that time? Yeah, um, I'll be honest, the idea of doing multiple gap years, I feel like came on to me. <laughs> it wasn't the initial pl- initial plan. Like my idea, um, you know, I was t- like, yeah, I was taking the MCAT. My idea was I wanted to go right after undergrad, go straight into medical school, or at least only take one year. Um, but just, just, I don't know, I was just really feeling burnt out towards the last um, year and a half at Cornell. Like I was just tired and cat with studying with school like was also a struggle for me so just because I had to prepare on the you know my med school applications like that was part of the reasons why I decided to take the gap take the gap year I only wanted to apply once and wanted to make sure that you know I put the best application best foot forward rather than rushing um and I just felt like there was just more to learn so actually when there was an opportunity to a position the fellow position with the global health program you know I took it like I was one I felt like it provided me an opportunity to you know stay on campus um stay on campus, access the resources, you know, to to access the resources such as like the career services office. Um, I didn't know in Awadi, um, like Office of Academic Diversity and Inclusion, um, you know, I was able to use their like writing coaches to help with my application. You know, there was just still things and resources on campus I could tap into, as well as like, again, I loved the global health program. I loved every part of my experience with it. So the opportunity to know, use at the time, which I didn't think was expertise, because I was like, we're only a year apart for most of <laughs> for a lot of these students like it's not that much years um but Jeannie was always so great to like really like emphasize you know that you know my like my experience and my voice you know gave me power and influence to like you know improve things for the better right my student my student perspective was really important uh you know to give back to the program so I that's what I kind of decided to do as well as I also got the advice and I guess another reason why like working for the global health program made a lot of sense is I actually got the advice during my senior year from a family friend which was like you know the first job that you got to get out of school or any job really you always want to try to identify one person that not only has your you know, professional interest, you know, in mind, but they're, they also want to support you in your personal goals as well. And with having Jeannie as a supervisor or really, yeah, just basically my boss, um, I saw, like, I saw my mentor in her and like, she like, and someone that could really help and support me um, to get where I wanted to go later on. So that's at least why after senior year, I ended up working at Cornell uh, for two years because 
I think typically fellows only work for one year, but I, I was the first fellow who worked for two. And that was because, you know, one year, which just wasn't enough. Um, I wanted to kind of come back and I wanted to stay around, stick around and see, uh, you know, the things I had implemented in that first year kind of grow into more fruition that second year. Um, and through my, you know, work with the global health program, a key thing that came for me for work was, you know, this idea of partnerships. And how important, you know, like communicating with our, our global partners as well as community partners were and the, having that skill set to do so. Um, and also like through my experience at Cornell um, and with 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 the program is really like, you know, understanding and this is more in when it comes into medicine, right? When it comes to like the importance of like social determinants of health, understanding, you know, how to look at the individual beyond themselves, right? Understand it, taking into their environment. So this idea of like partnership and wanting to understand people more holistically, again, further inspired me wanting to get that MPH. And I knew that if I were to go to med school, because, you know, there's multiple routes that you can get an MPH. You can either do a dual MD MPH, which uh, one year, typically between your third or fourth year of medical school, you take a one-year gap year to do an MPH, either at the school or a school like affiliated, like a, through a partnership that they may have, or you can do it after. And I got a lot of recommendations on which, you know, which path to take. A lot of people were definitely promoting, you know, doing the dual program, you know, get into that D first, it's a harder one, just get it done. Um, a lot, I had another person tell me that, you know, do it after because, you know, your MD is like going to be your predominant degree. You'll know after you finish your training how exactly you want to use your MPH. But honestly, I ignored both of those sets of advices. <laughs> and after I finished up my second year as a fellow, I actually went on to do my MPH at UC Berkeley in their um, health and social behavior program. And that was just because I, I knew I loved public health. I knew that like I wanted that understanding, that foundation before going into med school. And I wanted more in-depth time to, you know, develop those skills, such as like, you know, understanding different research methods, both qualitative and quantitative research methods. Um, as like, as one example, I wanted to understand, you know, how do you develop a program? How do you evaluate a program? Like have those basic understandings. Uh, Cause I knew later along in my career, I did want to like become a program director or some kind of like higher up position. I wanted that foundation. Yeah. And I just wanted to have, again, that time to dive deeper. And I, I just didn't feel like with the other two alternatives, you have that time. I knew because it, I knew because public health is just that important to me. And I'd always see myself later on in my career at that intersection between medicine and public health. Um, switching to do, uh, transitioning to do, uh, you know, more schooling before medical school <laughs> made the most sense to me. So that's kind of mm -hmm. what I did. Mm -hmm. Life um, happened. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, I guess it's kind of feeding into our next question for you. And that's, um, was it hard to transition your career trajectory um, or change paths, which I mean, it sounds like in college, maybe you didn't necessarily know you were going to go down the MPH route first. Um, and you talked about taking the MCAT, like how did that all transition after you started doing your MPH and what was it like applying while you were in your MPH program to medical school? Yeah, um, yeah, it was, whether I say it was hard or not, I, I don't know, I don't know, if, I, I, I don't necessarily feel it was that hard because I didn't feel like it was like a huge career shift, you know, it wasn't like I was in tech and then switching to medicine, right, like I feel like public health and medicine, global public health and medicine complement each other so well that I just felt like I was, these are building blocks towards a goal that like 
that, you know, that I was reaching towards. So it didn't feel like too much of a transition, but what I really leaned on or what I was, I think what for any, I think any career transition, which is important to remind yourself is that everything that you're doing, right? You, you're gaining skills that are transferable and it's to recognize that those skills are transferable. You know, from my time as a fellow, I was advising, right? So I, I, I understood you know, like how to talk to students, you know, how to ask open-ended questions, you know, have that like empathy and compassion. And it's so funny enough that like within my first year of medicine, like medical school, those were the, like, one of the first things that we were taught. So like, those are some like transferable skills. So, and, and, you know, sometimes it's so hard, you know, as the individual to realize that you have, you know, like you have skill sets that could work in a different career path um, that I always recommend, you know, talking to someone else, like whether that's a career advisor, if you were at a school, like, so for me being, for me and like during my MPH at, the, at UC Berkeley, again, I was leaning heavily on their um, career advising office. Uh, to really just help look at my CV, talk through my experience and like highlight, okay, what's going to like, what makes sense from within medicine, you know, like what are the same skills, you know, like, I, don't, I guess an example would be like, if you were, which I actually was, uh, I, I worked in uh, as a like, in, uh, oh my gosh, what am I trying to say? Like a sales associate, that's what I'm trying to say, at the Cornell store. And for me, I was like, ah, what is it like in terms of the listing my experiences on my medical school application? I was like, this is nothing, but hey, I learned how to talk to people. So again, why is it mm -hmm. like how that does that mm -hmm. relate to medicine? So um, yeah, just understanding that your skill sets are transferable and again, relying on your network, um, informational interviewing, I think is also essential when you're thinking about a career transition so I spent a lot of time during um, my time at UC Berkeley you know talking to uh, people on on faculty that had an MD right that were teaching um, to you know hear about their perspective uh, have them look at my application um, to yeah to kind of help bridge that gap as much as possible mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. awesome um, it, I just wanted to add it's been so like refreshing and interesting to hear how you um, prioritize a foundation in um, public health before entering medical school. I can see how crucial that is right now, just because I feel like I'm sure that you have a, a completely different perspective on like, you know, which path you want to take in medicine. That's super important. Um, so like, that's awesome to hear. Um, my next question has to do more with, you know, how your first year of medical school went. Um, and so could you talk a little bit about that? I have to laugh. Because the first thing that comes to mind is struggle bus. <laughs> oh, that's like the first phrase that comes to mind. Um, but that was like, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. As like, mm -hmm. as you guys understand, as being you know students in school during the time of pandemic, that was my first year, right? So mm -hmm. I was literally a med school student online. <laughs> Like mm -hmm. I only was in the hospital once a week. That was I our class my classmates and I used to joke around that like well, one day we actually felt like a real medical student because it was like the one day we got to go into the hospitals, be in person, learn the clinical skills, and then the rest of the week we were just online in, in our in our individual houses, oh, <laughs> all learning really? medicine, doing anatomy online. So it was, you know, it was harder, you know, to make friends because it was that first year, you know, make friends. Yeah. Um, obviously it was an adjustment to being on the, like in a virtual environment. Um, but, well, I don't know. And also I would say for me, it's a lot of foundation, like during your first two years of medical school, or even for some schools, it's the, you know, year and a half to two years. Um, 
you that's really predominantly set for like learning the foundation like your foundational medical science right like that that knowledge that, that knowledge base so it's a lot of information coming to you at once like I, I didn't get it at the time, but as an undergrad, I used to hear like other from other medical students that, you know, like your entire semester of like biology, let's say it's like genetics is taught within like the first two days of, of like a maybe a four week course in your in your like medical school curriculum. So if things are going at too fast, like the, the statement, I'm probably going to mess this up, but the statement that you like you're drinking out of a fire hose is really mm-hmm. true. Um, but I did feel like you know, because I had time, like I, I definitely think the benefit of me taking four gap years was I had the opportunity to learn more about myself. Like I knew what worked for me and what didn't. Like I knew like when I, like my eyes started to get <laughs> drowsy and I'm like late night studying, like it was a time for me to stop versus sometimes in undergrad, I didn't have that knowledge about myself. I would still power through and that didn't help me in the end. So like I had a better understanding of how I worked and, and I was able to find better balance than I think some of my other classmates didn't have that, you know, knowledge about themselves at that time because they took, you know, they took a different route and took a faster route between undergrad. Um, and like, um, and medical school. Um, so that helped me like with that transition, um, as well as like kind of always being around like an academic space, like with everything I was doing, I was always near a university. So I didn't feel like I was too far off from studying, you know, um, that kind of helped, you know, build that foundation. And like, again, Cornell, like helped to build that work ethic that, you know, when you need to get that work done, (laughs) it needs to get done those prelims like it was funny I had a couple like evening exams and that was such a shock to some of my classmates they were like what evening exams like that's disrespectful I was like this is normal I was like what do you mean yeah. I was like you have a whole extra day to study like let's do this <laughs> um so I felt like I was I was prepared for that first year but obviously that pan being a pandemic medical student well yeah I know my classmates and I joked that you know we're really great <laughs> for telemedicine but put us in front of a real person, questionable. <laughs> yeah. um, but obviously that's changing now, you know, things have become more open and I that, I feel like it'll definitely change. Uh, it's be changing for me uh, as I continue my medical journey. I'll have more of that in-person experience. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, sort of coming back to something we might've already talked about, but if you have more to say, um, considering your time at Cornell and your degree in public health, um, how do you think your background has helped you in medical school is currently helping you and um did those experiences help you in the application process and was there anything specific that you really focused on um when you were yeah when you were applying to medical school yeah um okay I think I'll get to the application piece, I think, in that uh, second, because I didn't think too, uh, just give me a little chance to think about that part a little bit more. Um, but I definitely felt like as a student, you know, um, yeah, like I like I said, I, I think I said earlier, like my MPH gave me the foundation and research method. So I had a better understanding than I think a lot of my classmates did. It's actually really funny, funny enough, my, so I, I don't think I've actually formally mentioned, but I go to medical school at UCSF or uh, University of California in San Francisco. And we actually have some public health like um, public health classes that are incorporated into our curriculum the first year. It's again, it's a, a pr- thing, something that I took two years was like taught in like four weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, it, like, I just felt like I had, I, again, I had a, 
a stronger understanding uh, that, you know, health and, you know, our different ailments, you know, the reasons why we come to go see a doctor is a reflection of the social condition. So like I was able to, you know, when we have our different case studies, um, like a child experiencing asthma, you know, I'm not only, I'm not only asking, you know, like, how old was a child? Like, tell me when they when when they started experiencing the wheezing, like trouble breathing, da 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 da. Like, what did you do? What medications are you using? I'm also thinking, like, where are you living? You know, like like can you tell me a little bit about like like the construction of the home? Like, is there mold? Like, like just different triggers, like environmental triggers. Like, has there been for for California? Like, has there been any fires recently? Like forest fire? Like smoke in the air that's triggering this asthma? I'm also thinking about like, okay, as the, uh, who's a, who's a primary caretaker of this child? Like, who's living in the home? Like, I'm I feel like I'm constantly asking about. Um, like I said, like the social condition, getting that like family history, employment history, that, or what we really in short say social history, like that's something that's really important um, that I felt like, I think for some of my classmates, while they got it, like they understood the importance, but it wasn't something that they always were thinking about or challenging themselves to take that next step and think critically about it. And I felt like because of my like foundation, you know, global public health at Cornell and then, and then adding on with my MPH, like I think I had, well, I know I have a better understanding understanding of, you know, not only that I have this knowledge, but like how I want to use my position as a, as a, as a, you know, not only as a medical student, but later on as a, like an actual practicing doctor, like how do I want to, you know, use my, my power to, you know, to improve these conditions for others? Like how can I actually work to be an advocate and think myself as an advocate um, in these in the communities that I will be working with in the future and kind of having that mindset and understand the importance it is to have that partnership with the community um, rather than kind of being, um, being, I guess, yeah, being someone in an ivory tower, like someone that's unreachable. Um, in terms of my application, um, I spent a lot of actually my application talking about the emphasis, like uh, talking about partnerships, because that, that for me is like kind of the, like, it still is my kind of driving piece and like my, my cornerstone of like why I'm doing this work, because I think there's just so much that can be done when you just kind of improve and take the, take the time to improve the like uh, provider patient relationship. Um, and that stems a lot heavily from like, again, my research that I was doing and understanding like the black maternal, like, maternal mortality crisis in the US um, when really half the time, doctors are just not listening to black women when they're saying that they're hurting, <laughs> you know, like I'm bleeding, mm -hmm. there's something wrong with me, like to not respect their patient and, you know, their expertise on their own body um, and to, you know, be exposed to that so much um, in my own, in like in the research I was doing in my MPH, like I just, that's the, really, yeah, that's what I kind of emphasize in my applications, like how important that partnership is um, and, you know, what, you know, how I want to do better and how I have the skills and I have dedicated time um, before coming into medical school to improve those skills in these different ways. Um, and I took a lot of, I, you know, took a lot of anecdotes from my experience working as a fellow, for example, um, and my experience across the different global health programs to kind of emphasize, you know, here's, here's me, here's me, a, 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 here's a part that, you know, may have been a challenge, but like now I have the tools and understand, or here's what I learned on the job to like, as to show that I had the tools and understanding to like do a better job moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, and building on kind of what you just talked about, how much your MPH has influenced, you know, what you're interested in in medicine. Could you talk about what you, how you see yourself after medical school, like what job position or yeah, what you see yourself doing? I'm laughing. That's a great question. Cause I'm like, when I know, I'll tell you. Like, I feel like there's a question I'm constantly thinking about. Um, yeah. Right now, in terms of like career specialty, um, I see myself as like a family uh, medicine physician. That's something that I didn't have exposure to until coming into medical school. Like it wasn't, it just wasn't something I was aware of. Um, and that's because I feel like that specialty, you know, really complements what I've learned in global public health. Like it has that, uh, like that social determinants, like social justice aspect built in, as well as like, again, we don't look at individuals, individuals in silo, but you're looking at family structures. Like you can, you, yeah, you're, you're trained to basically treat anyone from birth till death, um, which I think, and just that opportunity, you know, to have that, um, you know, longitudinal relationship with someone I think is so special. Um, so in terms of specialty, which is probably the, the closest thing I can probably tell you. And again, I'm really early in my training. So who knows after I finish my clinical years, if that's true, <laughs> after I finish my third year, if that's going to be true, but that's kind of where I see myself. And again, I kind of mentioned it briefly. I don't know what that job title is. I'm still trying to like explore it for myself is, uh, um, yeah, being at the intersection of medicine and public and global public health, whether that's like doing coaching, I, I've got an exposure to that, you know, but, uh, that's something that you can do in as a, as a non-clinical role as a doctor. You can do some coaching um, for individuals. Um, still trying to figure out how I wanna integrate um, global health in there. Um, trying to think of whether I want, ideally, I used to say this, I, I would want to like, I don't know if I wanna be in a faculty position, but have a partnership with another university in which I'm either helping with their curriculum, teaching mm -hmm. students, um, yeah, teaching students and kind of helping to improve uh, bi-directionally like our healthcare workforce and trying to, trying to pass like good tips and tricks. Again, guys, when it, <laughs> this is my hypothetical brain, but uh, at the end of it, I'm striving for balance, <laughs> balance between my professional and also personal uh, life. So that is my rambling of where I see myself after med school. <laughs> no, but that's wonderful. That's really great because I think a lot of people, at least that I've talked to in college, have a very like singular idea of what a doctor is or what they do. And it seems like you know that no matter what, it's not necessarily going to be that standard mold. Um, and so that's really great. So your eyes are open to new things. Um, so we'll kind of close now with um, like a section for advice. Um, and so I'll start off by asking you, what kind of advice in general do you have for Cornell students? Okay, I have a couple. <laughs> uh, well, let me say I have a few because I don't know if it's actually two. But one is while you can take a language, take, take, take a language. That's like one of the things that, you know, it was on my agenda coming into school, but then as y'all know, Cornell can be a struggle as well. <laughs> So that, that, you know, humbled my ambitions a little bit. I was just trying to graduate. Um, but take that opportunity to take that class. Like I'm thinking like right now, um, I'm trying to build in time, you know, to um, 
improve my medical Spanish. Um, so trying to find time to build in a course just so I can be able to interact with different people um, or just interact with patients in a better way. Um, so that's one thing. And, it's, and also too, like if you are trying to shift in into a, you know, a global um, role, global public health role in the future, you, you're going to need that. And that's just only going to be to your benefit. And that's been, and that's been a consistent theme to a lot of, you know, even as a med student faculties I've interacted with, um, you know, they, they highly emphasize getting that language. I think, and the languages that always come up is like French and Portuguese. Um, mm. If you want some recommendations, those are always ones that con that constantly come up as ones to prioritize, um, but obviously do what you're most interested. So like for me, it's perfecting my, my Spanish, improving my influency is something that's really important for me. Um, so that's one. Uh, two, um, is like you guys are in a new unique position. You guys can't you're like you guys are students, and you know you you just have that time and the space in your schedule to learn. So like take advantage. Like I know there's so many, you know, different lectures, like things that are like both like virtually versus like on campus things that you can like hop into, like guest lectures, things like that, um, specialty events. I don't know, like just take advantage and go. Like that was something that like as a fellow, like I didn't realize like how, like how privileged we are to be Cornell students or just really just be college students in general and just take that advantage to, you know, just hop in and learn about, learn something new at all times. So really like, um, you know, enjoy that, like, and take advantage of that. Um, and then I would say like a, another, another one is, you know, prioritize your well-being. <laughs> which is huge. Um, as you guys can tell, like, um, I'm a huge proponent of mental health, hence why I say take that gym class. Um, but if you're on the, uh, if you're on the path towards a career in medicine, you know, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And even in the application process, you know, I've had students be like, okay, like, what do I put? Like some of the questions you're asking, like, what do I put? How do I highlight my experiences? But I always tell them like, while you're in the application process, you need to take care of yourself. Like go run, go do whatever works for you. Exercising is something that helps me. So that's why I keep bringing it up as an example, but you know, build that into your schedule because there's gonna be days where you're like psyching yourself out with your own anxiety of whether or not I'm gonna get in. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, is my MCAT score high enough? Like building that time to calm yourself, to like hang out with friends, whatever it is, prioritize their well-being. And I'm a huge advocate for that. Cause as I kind of said, my first year of med school was a struggle bus. Um, but I also did have um, some unforeseen circumstances like happen for me during my first year of med school that when it came, when the year came to a close, I realized my tank was empty. Like I just, I, I was running on fumes um, and I knew though it was hard for me to like get to get to this space. Um, Cause I know, cause you know, oftentimes, you know you can be your own biggest critic um, that, you know, I, it, I was gonna do myself a disservice if I had continued. And not only like, I wasn't really gonna probably process the information as well, but I would do my future patients a disservice if I, I wasn't taking the time to fill my own cup. And, you know, people often say that doctors make the worst patients and it's because we think we know everything. Um, and I, I just wanted to like, yeah, turn that on its head and really take the time to be like, okay, I want to take, like, I am my first patient and I need to take care of myself right now. So I'm actually on leave um, from medical school. I took some time off um, just so, yeah, just, again, to just prioritize my mental health so that I can come back and 
you know, approach approach school with a d- different set of eyes and just <laughs> different guests, like filled gas take <laughs> and excel better. So um, I'll say that. And then I, the last thing I'll leave leave y'all with is uh, an advice I actually got from um, someone from a professional later on, like farther down their career, is to always plan your uh, professional goals alongside your personal goals. Um, you know, sometimes we get so, so sidetracked or so kind of like zoned in on, you know, what school, like the, what graduate program I need to get into next, like what job do I need to have that we don't really take the time to be like, oh, like what, yeah, what are the things, what are my personal goals in life? Whether that is like for some people, is that to have a family? Is that to travel? Is that to, again, all different methods, whatever that is for you um, to fill your own tank, like write that down as also like as a just important goal. Um, So that makes sure that you're achieving that as well. And again, you're taking care of yourself. So always prioritize your professional and personal goals the same if that's, if that's who you are. Um, Yeah. So I'll leave it there. Wow. <laughs> Such fantastic advice. Oh my gosh. Um, we, I mean, we had a few more questions to ask, but you kind of answered it in that last response. So thank you so much. Um, do you have anything else you would want to add, um, touch on that we didn't ask you about? If not, you already imparted so much wisdom. Yeah. No, no worries <laughs> if not. I don't think I have anything else, but I'll just say that, you know, I always love it when students reach out. So I don't know how that contact information, I don't know if you want me to say it, but um, if any any student wants it, if y'all like it, you like what you're hearing and just want to have a t- chat, I'm always happy to talk with students. So do never, never hesitate to reach out. Great. Well, thank you so, so, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And everything you said, like I said, so much wisdom. We loved it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys.